0: section thirty-eight of fabiola by nicholas patrick cardinal wiseman this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by maria therese part second conflict chapter nineteen twofold revenge sebastian's visit to the cemetery had been not merely to take thither for sepulture the relics of the first martyr but also to consult with marcellinus about his safety his life was too valuable to the church to be sacrificed so early, and Sebastian knew how eagerly it was sought. Torquatus now confirmed this by communicating Fulvius's designs and the motive of his attendance at the December ordination. The usual papal residence was no longer safe, and a bold idea had been adopted by the courageous soldier, the protector of the Christians, as his acts tell us he had been authoritatively called. It was to lodge the pontiff where no one could suspect him to be, and where no search would be dreamt of, in the very palace of the Caesars. Efficiently disguised, the holy bishop left the cemetery, and escorted by Sebastian and Quadratus, was safely housed in the apartment of Irene, a Christian lady of rank, who lived in a remote part of the Palatine, in which her husband held a household office. Early next morning, Sebastian was with Pancratius. My dear boy, he said, you must leave Rome instantly and go into Capania. i have horses ready for you in quadratus and there is no time to be lost and why sebastian replied the youth with sorrowful face and tearful eye have i done something wrong or are you doubtful of my fortitude neither i assure you but you have promised to be guided by me in all things and i never considered your obedience more necessary than now tell me why good sebastian i pray it must be a secret as yet what another secret call it the same to be revealed at the same time but i can tell you what i want you to do and that i think will satisfy you corvinus has got orders to seize on Krematans and all his community yet young in the faith as the wretched example of Tracatus has shown us and what is worse to put your old master cassianus at Fundi to a cruel death i want you to hasten before his messenger perhaps he may go himself and put them on their guard pancratius looked up brightly again he saw that sebastian trusted him your wish is enough reason for me said he smiling but i would go the world's end to save my good cassianus or any other fellow christians he was soon ready took an affectionate leave of his mother and before rome had fully shaken off sleep he and quadratus each with well furnished saddlebags on their powerful steeds were trotting across the campana of rome to reach the less frequented and safer track of the latin way corvinus having resolved to keep the hostile expedition in his own hands as honourable lucrative and pleasant it was delayed a couple of days both that he might feel more comfortable about his shoulders and that he might make proper preparations he had a chariot hired and engaged a body of numinian runners who could keep up with the carriage at full speed, but he was thus two days behind our Christians, though he, of course, travelled by the shorter and more beaten Appian road. When Pancratius arrived at the villa of statues, he found the little community already excited by the rumors which had reached it of the edict's publication. He was welcomed most warmly by all, and Sebastian's letter of advice was received with deep respect. Prayer and deliberation succeeded its perusal. And various resolutions were taken marcus and Marcellinus, with their father tranquillinus had already gone to rome for the ordination nicostratus zoe and others followed them now primatens who was not destined for the crown of martyrdom though commemorated by the church with his son on the eleventh of august found shelter for a time in fabiola's villa for which letters had been procured from its mistress without her knowing the reason why for he wished to remain in the neighbourhood a little while longer in fine the villa astatius was left in charge of a few faithful servants fully to be depended upon when the two messengers had given themselves and their horses a good rest they travelled by the same road as tercatus had trodden to fundy where they put up at an obscure inn out of the town on the roman road pancratius soon found out his old master who embraced him most affectionately He told him his errand, and entreated him to fly, or at least conceal himself. "'No,' said the good man, "'it must not be. "'I am already old, and I am weary of my unprofitable profession. "'I and my servant are the only two Christians in the town. "'The best families have, indeed, sent their children to my school, "'because they knew it would be kept as moral as paganism will permit. "'But I have not a friend among my scholars, by reason of this very strictness.' and they want even the natural refinement of roman heathens they are rude provincials and i believe there are some among the elder ones who would not scruple to take my life if they could do so with impunity what a wretched existence indeed cassianus you must be leading have you made no impression on them little or none dear pancratius and how can i while i am obliged to make them read those dangerous books full of fables which roman and greek literature contain No, I have done little by my words. Perhaps my death may do more for them. Pancratius found all expostulation vain, and would have almost joined in his resolution to die, only he had promised Sebastian not to expose his life during the journey. He, however, determined to remain about the town till he saw the end. Corvinus arrived with his men at the villa of Chromatius, and early in the morning rushed suddenly through the gates and to the house. He found it empty. He searched it through and through, but discover neither a person, a book, nor a symbol of Christianity. He was confounded and annoyed. He looked about, and having found a servant working in the garden, asked him where his master was. "'Master, no tell slave where he go,' was the reply, in a latinity corresponding to such a rude phraseology. "'You are trifling with me. Which way did he and his companions go?' "'Through yonder gate.' "'And then?' "'Look that way.' answered the servant. You see gate? Very well. You see no more. Me work here. Me see gate. Me see no more. When did they go? At least you can answer that. After the two came from Rome. What two? Always two, it seems. One good youth, very handsome, sings so sweet. The other very big, very strong. Oh, very. See that young tree pulled up by the roots? He do that as easy as me pull my spade out of the ground. The very two, exclaimed Corvinus, thoroughly enraged. Again that dastardly boy has marred my plans and destroyed my hopes. He shall suffer well for it. As soon as he was a little rested, he resumed his journey, and determined to vent all his fury on his old master, unless, indeed, he whom he considered his evil genius should have been there before him. He was engaged during his journey in plotting vengeance upon master and fellow student and he was delighted to find that one at least was at Fundy when he arrived he showed the governor his order for the arrest and punishment of cassianus as a most dangerous christian but that officer a humane man remarked that the commission superseded ordinary jurisdiction in the matter and gave corvinus full power to act he offered him the assistance of an executioner and other requisites but they were declined corvinus had brought an abundant supply of strength and cruelty in his own body-guard he took however a public officer with him he proceeded to the schoolhouse, when filled with scholars shut the door and reproached cassianus who advanced with open hand and countenance to greet him as a conspirator against the state and a perfidist christian a shout arose from the boyish mob and by its tone and by the look which he cast around corvinus learnt there were many present like himself young bear's cubs with full-grown hyenas' hearts within them. "'Boys!' he shouted out. "'Do you love your master, Cassianus? He was once mine, too, and I owe him many a grudge.' A yell of execration broke out from the benches. "'Then I have good news for you. Here is permission from the divine emperor, Maximian, for you to do what you like to him.' A shower of books writing tablets and other school missiles was directed against the master who stood unmoved with his arms folded before his persecutor then came a rush from all sides with menacing attitudes of a brutal onslaught stop stop cried out Corvinus, we must go more systematically to work than this he had reverted in thought to the recollection of his own sweet schoolboy days that time which most look back on from hearts teeming with softer feelings than the contemplation of present things can suggest. He indulged in the reminisce of that early season, in which others find but the picture of unselfish, joyous, happy hours, and he sought in the recollection what would most have gratified him then, that he might bestow it as a boon on the hopeful youth around him. But he could think of nothing that would have been such a treat to him." as to pay back his master every stroke of correction and write in blood upon him every word of reproach that he had received delightful thought now to be fulfilled it is far from our intention to harrow the feelings of our gentle readers by descriptions of the cruel and fiendish torments inflicted by the heathen persecutors on our christian forefathers few are more horrible yet few better authenticated than the torture practiced on the martyr cassianus placed, bound in the midst of his ferocious young tigers, he was left to be the lingering victim of their feeble cruelty. Some, as the Christian poet Prudencius tells us, cut their tasks upon him with the steel points used in engraving writing on wax-covered tablets. Others exercised the ingenuity of a precocious brutality by inflicting every possible torment on his lacerated body. Loss of blood and acute pain at length exhausted him, And he fell on the floor without power to rise a shout of exultation followed new insults were inflicted and the troop of youthful demons broke loose to tell the story of their sport at their respective homes to give christians decent burial never entered into the minds of their persecutors and corvinus who had glutted his eyes with the spectacle of his vengeance and had urged on the first efforts at cruelty of his ready instruments left the expiring man where he lay to die unnoticed his faithful servant however raised him up and laid him on his bed and sent a token as he had preconcerted to pancratius who was soon at his side while his companion looked after preparations for their departure the youth was horrified at what he beheld and at the recital of his old master's exquisite torture as he was edified by the account of his patience, for not a word of reproach had escaped him and prayer alone had occupied his thoughts and tongue. Cassianus recognized his dear pupil, smiled upon him, pressed his hand in his own, but could not speak. After lingering till morning, he placidly expired. The last rites of Christian sepulture were modestly paid to him on the spot, for the house was his, and Pancratius hurried from the scene with a heavy heart and a no slight rousing of its indignation against the heartless savage who had devised and witnessed without remorse such a tragedy he was mistaken however no sooner was his revenge fulfilled than corvinus felt all the disgrace and shame of what he had done he feared it should be known to his father who had always esteemed cassianus he feared the anger of the parents whose children he had that day effectively demoralized and flushed to little less than parricide He ordered his horses to be harnessed, but was told they must have some more hours rest. This increased his displeasure. Remorse tormented him, and he sat down to drink, and so drowned care and past time. At length he started on his journey, and after waiting for an hour or two pushed on through the night. The road was heavy from continued rain, and ran along the side of the great canal which drains the pontine marshes, and between two rows of trees. Corvinus had drunk again at his halt, and was heated with wine, vexation, and remorse. The dragging pace of his jaded steeds provoked him, and he kept lashing them furiously on. While they were thus excited they heard the tramp of horses coming fast on behind, and dashed forward at an uncontrollable speed. The attendants were soon left at a distance, and the frightened horses passed between the trees on to the narrow path by the canal, and galloped forward, rocking the chariot from side to side at a reckless rate. The horsemen behind, hearing the violent rush of hoofs and wheels, and the shout of the followers, clapped spurs to their horses and pushed gallantly forward. They had passed the runners some way, when they heard a crash and a plunge. The wheel had struck the trunk of a tree, the chariot had turned over, and its half-drunken driver had been tossed head over heels into the water. In a moment Pancratius was off his horse and by the side of the canal, together with his companion. By the faint light of the rising moon, and by the sound of his voice, the youth recognized Corvinus struggling in the muddy stream. The side was not deep, but the high clayey bank was wet and slimy, and every time he attempted to climb it, his foot slipped, and he fell back into the deep water in the middle. He was, in fact, already becoming benumbed and exhausted by his wintry bath. It would serve him right to leave him there, muttered the rough centurion hush quadratus how can you say so give me hold of your hand so said the youth leaning over the bank and seizing his enemy by his arm just as he was relaxing his hold on a withered shrub and falling back fainting into the stream it would have been his last plunge they pulled him out and laid him on the road a pitiable figure for his greatest foe they chaffed his temples and hands and he had begun to revive when his attendants came up. To their care they consigned him, together with his purse, which had fallen from his belt as they drew him from the canal. But Pancratius took possession of his own penknife, which dropped out with it, and which Corvinus carried about him, as evidence to convict him of having cut down the edict. The servants pretended to Corvinus, when he had regained consciousness, that they had drawn him out of the water, but that his purse must have been lost in it, and lay still buried in the deep mud. They bore him to a neighboring cottage while the carriage was being repaired, and had a good carouse with his money while he slept. Two acts of revenge had been thus accomplished in one day, the pagan and the Christian. End of section 38